0: Pleasure to meet you both. I saw Rose Plays Julie yesterday and it was such a fascinating film. I was it was so compelling from beginning to end. I was just glued to my seat and I was actually watched it with somebody um who sat right beside me and the two of us were just oh, by the end, just really like, oh my god, what's gonna happen? Um and I don't wanna I won't say too much uh to give away things like the very end. Um, But it was really, really excellent, so I hope you're both very proud. I'm really excited for you both.
1: Thanks, Um, Natasha, that means a lot. really appreciate that.
0: So um, I have a few questions I really wanted to ask you. Um, Just some things that I picked up on, and I'm a filmmaker as well, um, so I suppose there's certain things that I was really kind of holding on to in terms of cinematography um, and score and casting and things like that, but the score I found probably the most interesting thing to be a part of this film, um, and I think you guys brought it in. I was reading your production notes, and Joe, you said, I think, or maybe you both said that the temp music for this before Stephen McKeown, the composer, came in did not exist. And I thought it was so thrillery. I thought it was very grim, very heavy, it really underlined the tone of the film. And I think for a film like this, it sort of struck me that, you know, some other directors might choose something a little bit more sensitive, a bit more um, gentle, I suppose. And I just wondered, like, what did you want to achieve? What were you looking for in a score like this?
2: Well, I yeah, it's true about the temp music, because sometimes you do put down temp music just to kind of see what, what, it, what its feeling is like. I mean, actually, even in writing, when uh, we do writing, I particularly... Uh, like to listen to music but will have it on a loop so you just keep doing the same piece of music so you're sitting into an atmosphere if if you will rather than listening to you know the background noise of trains or whatever sure. that we might have and so when you put down temp music sometimes that works quite well and it could be like this or it could be like this but very nothing was sticking to this one it was like getting in the way mm-hmm. it was like a filter before you were looking at the images and so and then we tried. Well, maybe it's not. Maybe it doesn't uh, need music or want music. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's repelling music. Mm-hmm. That's fine. You have to listen to to the film edit. But that didn't seem right either to us. And so, really, we kind of uh, after the film was edited. Really, it was a, the very advanced stages of it. I think pretty much when it was maybe finished, close, yeah. maybe uh, close, we invited close. Stephen to have a. And we'd worked with Stephen before to have a go and see what he thinks. And um, he came. I went over to his studio in Denard uh, to have a listen to three options. And two of them, uh, you know, maybe weren't, weren't right. And they were a little bit more sensitive. And we, we've we always liked uh, music, which is a bit more strident. Um, a couple of examples of that might be Hitchcock. So when you look at some of Hitchcock's work, the, the music really is there, you know what I mean? It's not like, you know underneath trying to be hidden you know what I mean trying to manipulate emotions in a subconscious way actually it's very declaratory declaratory? it declares itself I'm sure that's a word (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but uh, and it really declares itself and I suppose part of it we had been using this idea that somehow some of the narrative ideas uh, were coming out of maybe Greek tragedy yeah Really, and so he didn't know that, and so he went to work on it. And he came up with this. Uh, or maybe we mentioned you, yeah, it. You did mention. We it. did mention it, and he really responded to this idea of a Greek chorus. Yeah. And off he went. And The gods. So and the gods has been yeah.
1: set in motion. Yeah. And now there's nothing we can do because there's uh like there's a there's something unfolding that the gods are enjoying. So what's the next move going to be? And they're partly implicated and partly. Responsible for what's going to happen next. So, Stephen really warmed that as an idea and responded.
2: Yeah. Like we did. And I think that's why you, the, the presence of brass, horns, mm. these kind of um,
1: voices, the chorus. And, and chor- yeah.
2: li- literally chor- choral uh, voices, which are amazing. Chorus. So, in a way, um, it, it kind of opened it up and becomes a little bit more operatic mm. in a way. Yes. So, it becomes mm. less naturalistic a little bit more operatic and the canvas becomes a bit bigger and it's a little bit more theatrical in in, in a way.
1: And yet there's very few cues and, and we as Joe says we've worked with Stephen before, he did the music for our film Mr John and I think his score for Mr John was completely brilliant and possibly underappreciated and undervalued. Um but we, we work minimal um cues so we don't use music from beginning to end and we don't use it as wallpaper it's not in the background as joe said it's very when we use us we we want it to ha- absolutely have its place and we want audiences to be aware of us and that it's part of the tapestry of the work Um, and that's really important to us and you know so we we always knew as well that with rose place julie the music cues would be reasonably minimal there's not many of them but when they're there they're there and they do a really important job as you said in terms Mm of their their place and how the the story and the the cinema of the world the world of the cinema the world of the film that we've made unfold
0: sure and i I even noticed as well you know we're talking about cues where you know it would really the the music would really rise and then it would be gone altogether Mm -hmm. and there's one scene with Anne skelly in the car and she's crying and she's just met Ellen and she's having this moment in the car and the music really builds and then she's crying and that's it's gone. And you're Ooh. kind of just sat with this moment. And I thought that was really skilled. I thought that was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, just really it was just kind of it really defined like I suppose you know, how do you categorize this film yourself?
2: Luckily you we to- don't have to. <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: well, we do
0: we have we're always <laughs> reluctant to because it's it's kind of
1: backfired for us um where people describe films that we've made in certain ways, like, for example, our first film, Helen, and that was described as a thriller, but it's a very weird thriller. So then people come with expectations. So we are very reluctant um, to describe. Um, We would see it very much as a a, a kind of a character study, although a character whose world is very internalised and her thinking Mm -hmm. process, so, you know, we're with her, but as she thinks her way through things. but, you know, we're we're also aware that we're working in certain kind of genre spaces, maybe to do with thriller spaces. And so after we've made the film, well, then other people have stepped in and said, well, let's just call it a psychological thriller, which does sit okay with me completely. And I'm happy to go with that. However, I think there's always the caveat that, you know, our our films are kind of particular. So it's a psychological thriller as we think about it the way we think about it yeah so it's not um so the again so it's about not having mismatched expectations yeah Yeah, i think you've got to if you're going to use the word
2: thriller i mean drama is a bit of a catch-all phrase and so Mm -hmm. you could say it's a psychological drama i don't know what that means but it's that's fine psychological definitely um and then if once you start using the word thriller you've got to you've got to deliver and so it's got to have those kind of suspenseful, edgy kind of things that make you wonder what's happening. And you don't know that until it's all done, actually. You might feel certain aspects are there, but it's not until it's actually completed and the sound design has been done that you can feel the kind of emotional uh, tone of what the the moment is. And so it's it's only afterwards you begin to call it what it what it what it might be. And that really is the language of how somebody is framed to go and see it. Like what you know, twenty odd films come out in, in the UK every Friday. Um the number's probably not dissimilar in Ireland. Um and people have it you know have to be helped to know what they might want to go and see that week. And that's a really, really uh, difficult decision. I mean we do it ourselves. What are we going to see? Now we might track a particular director, yeah. uh, you know, and so everybody uses their different techniques to find out what how they're going to go and see something. But having seen the film and seen the reaction, and only because of that, I think psych- psychological thriller you could use that, and you wouldn't be um, you wouldn't be sued for uh, <laughs> trade descriptions.
0: I, I definitely saw it as if I was going to categorize it as anything. I, I definitely would have put that somewhere in the top. Okay. below maybe. Um, or at least something like a, a... I mean, obviously a very... Uh, almost like a family drama in some ways as well yeah. is where I'd also put it um, very yeah. firmly. Um, and I, it was... Do you know one thing I thought was really fascinating about Rose Place Julie was how it was kind of all about inherited trauma mm. and um, inherited grief and but also like collective uh, recovery. Mm. Um, and I thought that was very... Pertinent for the times we're living in, mm. um, and also, I suppose, historically, women in Ireland as well. Um, and I just thought, was when you were doing, when you were developing the script and developing the story, you know, where did that, did those themes, did the story come first? Did the themes come first? Mm. How did you work yeah, into that narrative? That's
1: a, that's a good question. Um, I guess, um, really. Know, the, the the thing that came first for us, we've got to go back quite a way, okay. all the way to 2013, but was um the character of Rose there. And so starting from her character and the place that she was in in her life, as in she's an adopted young woman who's now going to embark on a journey to trace her birth parents, having had a, a reasonably happy and content life as an adoptee. So she's not driven because her life has been unhappy. She's driven because she's curious and wants to know who she is and where she's come from mm. and what made her. Um, so And so we we very much started with an idea, a clear idea of Rose, who picked up from our char- the character Helen in our first film, who was in the s- care system. And the journey that Helen went on was to uncover truths about herself through her records of personal files that at least gave her a sense that she was loved and um, and a way of moving forward with her life once she left the care system. But we have always wondered about, you know, a young woman in a similar position who discovers something about who she is that is more difficult to deal with. And so I'd say that that was... Very much the starting point. So character would have been a starting point, but we also knew that we didn't want necessarily a film again that just focused on one central character. We mm-hmm. wanted to bring in um, the the role of the mother and the father. So I'm interested. You said a family drama. We've also described mm-hmm. it as a kind of a love story between a blossoming love story between a mother and a child. Yeah. Um which is probably what we would have thought about before the word psychological thriller I've got attached to the, the film, as they have latterly. Um, and so you you start with something and then you see how it begins to grow. And we knew that we wanted to look at the impact of violence. So the long-term impact on, of violence on people. Um, and so we didn't want things in dispute so um i don't think it's a huge spoiler to say that um one of the is it a spoiler to talk about um rape in filming we might decide i i i i I don't think that's a spoiler no no it's um so we didn't want anything to be in dispute we wanted things to to be this is a fact this happened and you know what were the implications what's the impact of that happening and um, so they're, they, they're small things to begin with and you don't know how they're going to build and the journey they're going to go on but um, they would have been ideas that were in our minds as we were walking and talking in the early days of developing the script
2: But in, but in essence, thematically it linked to that idea of the character we, we sort of always hover around that idea of identity and how stable or unstable that is uh, who, the self and how mutable that can be under certain conditions, under pressure. So this idea of identity under duress, we always, that we wouldn't be uh, alone in our obsession on certain themes. Again, Hitchcock Mm -hmm. said once that he effectively has tried to make the same film again and again all his life from his own perspective. So there are things that you become keen in and interested in, and you're always trying to investigate, but from a different angle each time. And I think there's a coherency about that for us. Now, maybe we just lack imagination and we can't think of anything else to come to come up and explore with. But what can we say? We, without being overly analytical of ourselves, we seem to return to the same seam again and again. Mm. So I think that's important to us as well. And so you investigate, you go, go deeper in it. I think the love story thing is very important to do with a mother and a daughter. That was very important to us. But it's wrapped in, you know, a very dark cladding, yeah. uh, and so it's the tension between those two things is very important to us, and th- they're the kind of you now Me Too uh, came mm-hmm. after uh, and, and times along of, the way. Along the, the way, now we're not we're not so zeitgeisty <laughs> as to respond to what's happening around us in the moment. Because film can't. I mean, the average film takes seven years to get made from beginning to end. So you better not really be picking up the news headlines and say, "Ah, oh, this seems to be in vogue at the moment. Because yeah. it won't be in seven years' time. And seven years' time from now, uh, there'll only be four people left on the planet after <laughs> coronavirus. So, well, it's a, if you're smart, you would be making a film about an epidemic or a pandemic. Yeah. But nobody would be around to watch it <laughs> by the time you actually get it made. So... Better still to go a little bit lower down and look at certain things that are sadly perennial. And the tension and violence between men and women uh, really is perennial. There's a great article by Rebecca Sonnet in Today's Guardian about how much she's learned from young people. Wisdom doesn't accrue as you get older. In fact, you can easily look back and and look to younger people to learn from. Mm Um, so I think that those are ongoing issues, which if we go think back to Greek dramas, they were, they were present yep. two and a half thousand years ago. So we tend to chime with what's happening at the moment. And that's an, that's an ongoing, important issue. That's just been bubbling to the surface, uh, more unrelentingly, mm-hmm. which is great to see yeah. and important to see. But our film is not, you know, that, that's. You know, we're not claiming any mm. credit for that. Yeah. It, it's just the way it's it, it is. But those issues are important that they
1: are addressed. They looked at yeah. it. it. wasn't
0: it wasn't necessarily a reaction to anything no. that was going no.
1: on. No, no. And in fact, business. it was it was important for us to just keep clear about our own course and not get you know yeah. pulled into yeah. something different just because of what was going on around us. And and so in a way, you you yeah, we we just needed to stay very clear about what it was we thought we were trying to do. Um, so that it didn't become, as Joe said, you know, side guys are trying to respond or react to things that were mm. happening. So just stick to, you know, the plan.
0: Yeah, And it doesn't at all ever feel like you are reacting to that. It just, it does feel like a very natural part of the character's journey.
1: Oh, you know, really, yeah, it's, um, it, like there's been
2: an interesting news article recently in the UK, because in a sense yeah. there, there was a young woman, well, she's not young necessarily anymore, but she felt that she was the outcome of a rape, And she felt she should be able to pursue the perpetrator. Mm -hmm. Now, by law, it was the case that the person who was raped was the only person who was allowed to pursue that case. But actually, the person in question, the perpetrator, has been arrested Mm -hmm. and is going through a legal process. And the person who's bringing the charge is the outcome of the rape. It's the first time that's ever happened. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting... That Mm -hmm. she effectively... Like Rose in our film is a crime scene. Yeah, is evidence walking yeah. DNA. No, we,
1: that's what we—that's what we were thinking when we were making the film. Um, so we weren't thinking articulating it completely in that way. Although I always saw her as she's evidence of something that happened because she only exists because it happened, and that's what's so peculiar and about rape as an act, um, a violent act. Uh, is that it can lead to a life being brought into the world. So it's, and there's nothing else that can happen to a person that will result, unless somebody's forcibly impregnated, you know, without rape taking place. And maybe that happens as well. I mean, obviously, The Handmaid's Tale is (laughs) a a case in point. Um, But yeah, so that, um, that's, I've forgotten what I was saying. God, oh for god's there. sake <laughs> <laughs> jesus
0: sidetracked by the handmaid's tale you are camp. you no. no i am would I, never am I, forget um, <laughs> am i saying a snapshot of what's like on set Just yeah. so- <laughs> 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 you absolutely are. oh she
1: forgot <laughs> yeah so that time I done are you on or off yeah, that, yeah, that, no, no, um, no, but <laughs> if we made this really two weeks ago <laughs> if we
2: saw that article and made this in reaction to that article two weeks ago, yeah. that'd be pretty good. Yeah, if you could yeah. read that article, make that film in two weeks, not bad. Yeah. Unfortunately, a <laughs> lot longer.
1: Yeah. But well, you might make a very different film. If, if you, you could turn around. No, you could no, make a short film, actually. Somebody else, you could somebody
2: yeah. You can creatively respond mm. to these things. Uh, and that's really important that there are creative short bursts mm. to things that can take place over a day, a week, you know and that that is that is not something that we have done for a feature film it's not possible but you can do that uh with a poem or a piece of music or a short film you can react to contemporary culture around you in in the right level of you know scale yeah, yeah. with creative responses and that's an important thing as well
0: yeah i mean these are small stories in about small lives mm. <laughs> and i think you're right you think you can respond um in in like you know like like like-minded ways, mm. um, but uh, I just I suppose wanted to go on then to, um, speaking about the world of the film a bit more and you know veter- veterinary science, archaeology, mm. and then acting and filmmaking. Um, they're all so Ellen, Julie, Rose, and uh, Peter are all in such different roles and different worlds, mm. um, and then those worlds collide, mm. um. Why choose these roles in particular? Why choose these worlds in particular? Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. well, I guess that's the pleasure of trying to make a, a world, to, to make it a film, is that yeah. you get, I, I would say that the real pleasure is you get to create these, you get to create worlds to define characters through their worlds, and that's something that has always directed us and driven us in the rising process of, so trying to imagine the world of the the character because that's the world of the film and ultimately that's what we're trying to create we're trying to create worlds for audiences to enter into so um you know there doesn't all there isn't any great plan and sometimes things are a bit accidental so for a long time for example rose was a zoology student and we were probably interested in um you know uh the, the world around and the ideas around zoology and we were, we it was a kind of a complicated world because we had her in a zoo and there was a gorilla, which played a very important, almost like metaphorical, um had a metaphorical presence and was threaded through the film. And as we tried to negotiate with UCD about using you know, some of their facilities, it was um, Rory Bretnack from UCD who runs the veterinary school, who said to us that I, I really don't think that you're, it's a zoology student that your character is. Your, your character sounds more to me like a veterinary student and that maybe we just didn't know the difference and maybe we were trying to blur the two and have our cake and ease it, or we just didn't know but he put us right in us and the minute he said that everything changed for us because um well I don't want to spoil things and I'm not going to but it, it had such a shift a profound shift in terms of the story and how it unfolded and actually that happened deeper into the development process than, um, you know, you might think when you see the finished film. Um, yeah, like, and the same with um, archaeology. We had a different world for Peter Doyle, and actually he was a different character. But that's the the kind of the, you know, the interesting journey that a film can go on as you're trying to develop the script. Yeah, like there,
2: in veterinary science, there's a particular part of being a veterinary student. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sail close to the edge, <laughs> but I'm not going to fall off the edge, I hope. But there is a particular part of the process of being a veterinary student that once we alighted upon it, we thought, mm-hmm, that's interesting. If we can take this particular thing, skill, we can develop this and that thing, skill, will come in very useful later on in, in the film. Whereas if she was a zoology student, that particular thing will never manifest itself. Mm. And that becomes very, very important. I I can gesture. (laughs) I I can gesture (laughs) to you. (laughs) That thing is not a zoology thing. That's specifically a
1: veterinary thing because that's what vets do. And uh, it's kind of an important thing. Peter, we we had problems with the world that we were creating for the other version of Peter Doyle and the other version had a different name and was involved in a completely different world but we kept having problems with it so I guess you just got to pay attention if you're having problems you're probably having problems for all the right reasons so you need to change course sometimes it can be incredibly difficult to change course because it might mean going right back to the very beginning and starting all over again Mm -hmm. which is what happened in our case I will say however that um uh, Ellen, being an actress, was there from day one, and it always felt right. And it um stood the the various tests it encountered along the way, and it just made complete sense to us in terms of her character. And somebody working with
2: animals her. that was always there from the, the beginning yeah, as we were, well. Working
1: with animals, just we. But archaeology was that's
2: interesting yeah. to to do that yeah. uh, and get into that world.
1: But once we'd it on it, it was like oh my god, that's yeah. so it's obvious, mm. and it's it, you know it was. It, it really helped in
2: terms of the script, and also somebody engaged in a you know a profession, a very respectable, mm-hmm. slightly mundane profession, and it it is intriguing yeah, how yeah. when you start researching something, how it pertains to what's actually happening in real life. Again, mm-hmm. it's accidental, but I kind of feel that if you're thinking seriously about the material. And thinking about the material and how it resonates with you and how it's, and you're keeping an eye on the world around you and you're engaging in the politics and the social tensions and, and you're trying to bring those, align those two things, the internal philosophy or aesthetic value that you have or compass that you have, and you're you're trying to connect with the world around you, inevitably you're going to find resonances along the way, inevitably. Um
0: Is Ellen being an actor and having to assume different characters playing into the theme of identity? Yeah,
2: totally, totally.
0: Yeah, Yeah. and uh, I guess correct. (laughs) A star. Excellent.
2: Well, that's it. Yes, (laughs) that's good. Yes, no answers.
0: Very good.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, 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 totally. And we like the playful nature of that and. First of all, Um, she
1: was an actress. The only thing that shifted was the kind of actress she was, and she was in a long-running soap opera, and she played a doctor called Dr. Swain. Because we 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 love Tootsie, you know Tootsie? (laughs) We love Tootsie. But that became, uh, actually, that kind of boxes into a corner, and it was deeply problematic, so it was much better if she was a career actress, and she, you know, and... And that also made it much easier for us to find Orla Brady to play the part because somehow she just seemed completely perfect. Like we had almost written it with Orla in mind. And And that's what we felt when we... I mean, Orla wasn't on our radar because she doesn't work in Ireland. And we're absolutely crap anyway when it comes to thinking about actors. It's like, you know, which is why you need really good casting directors. And Emma Gunnery, who we worked with, was brilliant to work with. But once we... Once Orla was brought to our attention, it was like perfect. She just really worked with the, our, all our ideas about the character of Alan.
2: And it is funny to watch actors, you know, they're in this particular costume drama, they're in this particular mm. thing playing these roles. And then, you know, a couple of weeks ago, there's a picture on, on in the various newspapers of Orla with her pointy ears because she's in Star Trek. I mean, it's hilarious, really. Yeah. Yeah. And this is their job. And this is what we're all watching, mm. you know what I mean? So it is funny, and we do like the artificiality of that because we feel it's um we're not making social realism here. We're not trying to reflect reality in, in that sense. You know, we're trying to engage in the world of cinema, the artificiality of that to some degree, not so removed that it's not resonating on, on other levels, but it's certainly more playful than that. And I think we're we're always trying we're conscious of the playful nature of the experience of cinema as well. Mm. Um, we're not necessarily trying to uh, say this isn't on a big screen. This is real life. We're not saying this is real life, but that's not to say that fiction doesn't have those powers to reveal uh, real things.
0: Absolutely. Um, I think it's very it's a very ethereal look at times at kind of trying to find your identity and uh, place yourself within I think to like Julie and Rose slash Rose should I say mm. sort of grinding herself within who she is in her life and her adopted parents and stuff and it's very beautiful in that sense and you, I think you do connect to what would be someone's reality in that way mm. um, and I suppose now that we're talking about Orla Brady and cast um, I do want to talk about cast because it's so well cast I thought Anne Skelly was breathtaking I thought Orla Brady was really captivating um, so how did you work with How did you find them both, and then how did you work with them to sort of shape the characters that Mm. they embody? Mm. Well, we found and through
1: a a kind of a regular casting process, which we haven't really been through before, so it was our first experience of that. Going through the whole process of, um, you know, sending some of the script out to sample scenes for you know um, people to do self-taping for actresses to do self-taping for us. And we'd never been through that experience before. It was really interesting and revealing. We learned a lot. Really, really helpful process to have embarked on. Um, Because you're talking about a young actress, and maybe lots of young actors, you know, probably haven't even been in a film yet. So Mm -hmm. maybe... They're on a you know a casting director's radar because of theater work they've done or whatever sure. so you know we wouldn't have that knowledge, so you need somebody else to bring people to you and then there's some actresses who self taped who are definitely more well known, but you've got your own ideas of what you want, but you're also open or we were because um you know there's nothing fixed that we have in our mind at all and um, We were clear, not completely at the beginning. Um, But we became very clear that we wanted an Irish actress. So I guess they were the parameters we put in place. And, you know, you you go beyond the self-taping because you've got to narrow things down. There's got to be a way of making it manageable. And, you know, the the most important thing is to meet the, you know, the actresses that we, we got to meet in the end. Again, it was a really interesting experience. Tough and difficult in many ways because we met some brilliant actresses and every body brought something incredibly interesting and revealing to us and um, you know about the character but you know then you got to make a choice and in a way Anne um, became an obvious choice for myself and Joe um, you know having met her she it, it just seemed she seemed completely right so she held um, both a steeliness and a vulnerability she could hold both together in the same place and you know she's she, I think she's incredibly captivating to watch um she brought a stillness to the role but we have uh, an approach where we you know people have jobs to do and we like to trust people and give them space to do their job of course it's a collaboration we have to be all on the same page and with film there's a tone that you've got to track and track which is very much the job of the director from begin to end so you need to make sure that we're all going in the same way and you know that the tone is right. but yeah maybe Anne brought this kind of stillness that when you meet her in real life um, she's just so different um, but she brought this stillness that we really fell in love with so mm-hmm. you know you you're also trying to see what's going to happen because once you bring all the ingredients together and you're in low budget filmmaking you're not going to get much time to rehearse and not all actors like to rehearse we'd a few what afternoon the, the actors Laura, you don't want to rehearse the, the talk, rehearsal process yeah
2: becomes effectively talking about the character in the yeah. world of the film. That's, that is also rehearsing. You're going through and you're trying to frame aesthetically and philosophy what you're trying to do so the actor listens to that, it goes away and can absorb that mm-hmm. because you want to see what they turn up with. Yeah. If you legislate too much, uh, you may as well just do it yourself. And I think I should do it most of the time <laughs> myself. And so it's better to hand it over to somebody yeah. to then own. And then that's much more yeah. creative and they're owning that part. We like to go part.
1: with where actors, how they want to work. Where they lead you. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. And within a know. parameter. We've worked with Aiden before we know he doesn't like rehearsing. So that completely works for us. So we, but we also, as Joe said, you go on a you have to, we have to talk about, you know, our ideas about the film sure. and characters and, yes. Yeah. So and and
2: they want to hear that because they want to yeah. do what you, they want to give you what you want because you don't know necessarily what you want, but you know what you don't want. Yeah. With Orla, because of her experience and people and actors like Aidan, you can't audition them really. On, you know, we couldn't. Um, you make offers. Yeah. So because they're you can see all their work and so you can make a decision. Whereas with Anne, um, you know, she hasn't done a lot or hadn't done a lot. But I think in a very short period of time... Uh, she's also going, going to be somebody that you're not going to be doing able to audition. You'll have yeah. to be making offers as well because she's yeah. working on some very big things at the moment. So and and in, in a very young and quick period of time, she's gotten to that point, which is amazing, which doesn't surprise us at all. So then you have to make offers and then you have to do your homework and then you have to look at their work and then you have to trust that you're making. But it is important to have a conversation, which we did do with yeah. Orla uh, and uh, uh, online yeah. uh, and with her home in California.
1: We've never, met or we've never talked to her. And you're gonna go on a journey with somebody, so yeah, yeah. and vice versa. So she, yeah. yeah, well. she needs it as well.
2: She might think, geez, I'm not working those two. <laughs> yeah. In fact that's something I know she does a feel now.
1: Budget, so you know yeah. it's not a payday for anyone. No. So, you know, we all need to we need to know that, you know, we're gonna go enter into this and you know, feel confident. Yeah, but you can't, on. I
2: mean, oh my God, if we were working with somebody that we couldn't stand our guts, it it it's not going to be u- pretty, it'll be really nasty mm. and ugly, and I'd hate that, and you'd hear those stories where people just don't get on, yeah. it'd be dreadful, yeah. so it's important that everybody is on the yeah. same page, we all like each other, we all want to do this. But we invested and, a yeah. lot
1: of energy into the rest of the cast, like um, Annabelle Rickerby, and Catherine Walker, and... Joanne Crawford and mm-hmm. everyone, Alan Howley, everyone who's in our film, we invested energy, and I guess we, you know, that it's really important. But it's the first time we've gone on a rigorous casting process because uh, our, our other films, we, our the first film we made Helen was with non actors. Our second film. Um, was shot in Singapore and they don't have a casting director at the time they didn't in the entire of Singapore so you had to you had to do it yourself anyway mm-hmm. so this was our was the very first time we've been through that kind of process and um, Sadie so- Soverall, who plays Eve mm-hmm. as well so you know it it was a real luxury for us and um, to be able to go on that journey mm-hmm. and you know so to, to think about every single part and you know try to endeavour to get the the people that we wanted and we mm-hmm. thought would work well
0: it's sometimes nice, I find, you know, with my own... So I do, I do a lot of short films and, you know, I've started with things... We're not like, here to talk about <laughs> your... <laughs> no, but it can be sometimes nice when you start with films where you've got basically nothing and yeah. then you get a funded film and you're like, oh, it's nice to have these sort of luxuries where I can have yeah. these sorts of things, yeah. like casting processes yeah. at your disposal. Yes. You I yeah. this is the way it should be. Yeah, well. <laughs> it, it really is. Yeah. I
2: mean, look, you know, uh, your own uh, on-site, you know caravan that you can go in I mean that's that's a big deal we didn't get one but uh, it's good to give the actors that because they're you know they're going to be hanging around all day and they need you know come on for god's sake good food on a set Mm -hmm. Uh, because it's the crazy thing about filmmaking is that you spend several years writing on a script and then you've got 22 days to shoot this thing it's nuts Mm -hmm. and it really however any film ever comes together is just amazing um, so when you see something that works for you, then it really is amazing because you think you can't believe how on the edge those scenes, you know, you're running out of time all the time and you're always chasing time. Yeah. And so that's the main thing. It's just that sheer lack of time um, that you get, which, you know, you you dream of getting 25 days or yeah. somebody heard, I heard somebody yeah, he got does. 30 days. <laughs> and uh, And it's just about having... There's a great uh, YouTube clip at the moment of David Lynch talking to a production manager about his new Twin Peaks. And he's just going, you know, the production manager's saying, and when we go in there, you know, we'll, we'll have a day. And David Lynch is going, why? Why just a day? You know, we go in, it's bam, 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 no time to dream. <laughs> you know, it's fucking horrible. And he's, he's right. It is horrible when you're bam, bam, bam. And as Bergman says, there is no time to think. You've done all your thinking. And if you're lucky, one or two problems will come up and that you will have t- time to think to solve them. And it is it is about that um, period of time of writing and developing the project. You're hoping when it comes to the moment of the scene and the actors are finally there doing their thing, uh, you really hope all your thinking's done. Because if it isn't working, that's when your, your next little tweak, uh, although the, the number of years you've had developing it, will really come into play then. And so, and then, you know, you're just hoping everybody's been well-briefed and they know what they're going to do. Because they, you only ever have time for three, four shots and yeah. before you move on. And if you do five or six, you're going to lose half an hour on the next one. And the next one, the next scene is going to kick your ass big time. You don't know it, but it will. And you so you, you just need to grab the time. Yeah. And if it's working and you've got it... Move on! <laughs> because yeah, the yeah. next one, you never know. There's traps laid in there.
0: Sometimes I think filmmaking is as much about what you don't want as it is about yeah. what you want yeah. in the day and about what plan B is. Yeah. Um because as you say, like everything's tight and yeah. there's always you have to find a creative solution to something all yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, and that can be
2: a big move. Yeah. I remember seeing a talk with Martin Scorsese and he was talking about Shutter Island, a hundred million said Same problems. Mm. We're still running out of time. We still can't afford overtime for 250 people. So we still, and it's a huge tanker. So to do another shot, it's a major setup. So that's something, even on a big budget,
1: you will always be up against these constraints. Mm. And you're shifting from the page to actually trying to make the film. And the, the part of the problem is that things can really work on the page. Yeah. And, as, and when they stay on the page, when they're on the page, safely on the page, you don't always see what the problem is, because they might read well. And there was one moment making Rose Plays Julie, and we were about to go into a long day, and we'd just finished a long day, and we knew the day that was coming up was really long. And suddenly, something struck me, I think, or maybe it struck you, I can't remember, struck us both. Um, something that I'd always read really, really well. It suddenly made I'm really excited. It. What's this? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah So yeah. anyway, it was just a thing. It read really well. And we I absolutely know that if we hadn't figured it out the night before, it wouldn't have been possible to figure out in the day because you're doing this. And there is no time to think or very little time to think. Um, but even at the very last minute, suddenly something can make sense in a way it never made while it was on the page. And you can, you know, make thinking on your feet. You just have to do it. You have to never stop thinking until it's all in the can. Mm -hmm. Then you take a bit of a breath and then you start thinking again because you're in the space of the edit. But you just don't let go. um, You you work all the time. At every step of the way during those crazy 22 days, you can make pretty profound changes or little subtle kind of adjustments that really are going to help you later on.
0: Um, And you don't figure it all out, that's for sure, and then that's what the edit's about, I guess. Um I just wanna finish on cinematography. I just want to make sure I ask you about that because I thought it was so beautifully shot. Thank you. <laughs> um, so beautifully shot and very well mm. thought out and very um very confident and yeah. it had a certain stillness. I know there's still kind of some movement and panning in and panning out that kind mm. of draws us in. Um and there's actually I found that there is huge use of negative space and things like that mm. and isolating like mm. characters and frames mm. and stuff. And I'm just wondering what exactly is it that you were hoping to achieve Um, I suppose, in the broadest sense and maybe in between um, character interactions and locations and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we. one of the things we
1: try to think about is, um, you know, spend the time trying to get what you want rather than giving yourself options because the idea that you have options is is just uh, it's a lie, really, because you might shoot loads of options, but if none of them are what you want, well then, what was the point? Mm-hmm. So we try and put the energy into um, understanding what we want and then making sure that we try and get that. And we worked with Tom Comerford on Rose Place Julie. He was our DOP and we haven't worked with Tom before. And actually, we have worked a lot with a, a cinematographer called Uda Berkland and, you know, he's the, the cinematographer we've worked on with the most. And he was meant to do Rose Place, Julie. He had to put out at the last minute. But it was a real opportunity to work with someone new. And it was fantastic as well we were working with an Irish cinematographer. And what we wanted, and we made clear to Tom, because you've got to work things out. So if you're, it's such a crucial role. It's such a, a central collaboration, essential collaboration, when you're trying to make a film, the, the collaboration with the cinematographer. But we have clear ideas ourselves, which is partly to do with all the work we've made and the way we approach our work. So, um, it's not okay for us to stand by and just let the cinematographer get on with their job. Yeah, we want it to be a collaboration. It has to be. We have to understand each other. So, um, you
2: know. I mean, there again, back to that options thing. And Tom, I mean, the you after all the conversations that you have, it's the first and second day of filming. That's when it really is cast, and so that's when you need to be really all over it. And there was a few funny moments where Tom would say, I think we need to cover that journey from there to there. Now, of course, every time you do that, you're going to have to set the camera up, reposition things, everything. It's going to take an hour, maybe two hours. That's valuable time. And and you might say, well, I don't think we're going to need it, that journey from there to there. He says, trust me, you will. I says, trust me, you won't. Trust me, you will. It goes back and forth. I said, he says, I guarantee you that you will need this. I said, okay, I'll tell you what. Do you want to bet that that won't be on the final edit timeline? Bearing in mind, we're editing the film. Do you want to place a bet? (laughs) He goes, no. And then, (laughs) and here's the thing. I said, if you want to do it, but it won't be there. We will, it'll never get used. And so you have these things where we're editing the film. So when we're filming the film, we're thinking of the edit. Yeah. Now you're thinking of filming it to give the editor the options we are the fucking editors. <laughs> we don't want the option. So I'm telling you now, yeah. let's, you know, it's so, of course, right, this this is continuity stuff. Now, that's not the same thing as some of the visual mm. stuff that Tom's yeah. thinking about.
1: Tom is really He's rigorous. stunning. He's really, he's, really rigorous. He's brilliant. Yeah. But
2: continuity isn't necessarily yeah. what a DOP is keeping an eye on. Mm. That's our job and the editor's job and the continuity expert's yeah. job. But you need to know what the edit is. Of course, Tom wouldn't know what the edit is, no more than the actors would know it, but we know what and it what will you be. want to
1: know very quickly. And um, so, again, you know, we, we had to audition the DOPs. And I guess the thing that swung it for us in terms of take, hiring Tom, because we, we met some brilliant DOPs as well. And again, it was an incredibly difficult decision that you're making, because we've never worked with any of them before. But what um, what helped us to make the decision about Tom was we were left with a feeling that we would be curious about what he would have done on the day. So say if we'd worked with someone else, he was the person we talked to where we thought we'd be thinking, I wonder what he would have done or what he would have suggested. So I, I, I think what is it was really reassuring for us with Tom is that we absolutely knew that he, he wouldn't want to rush anything, that everything he cared about, absolutely every shot. And that's really important because we do as well. And as Joe said, and what we're trying to say is that we try to get as close as possible to what it is that we think we want on the day, and that's the ch- that's the option. That's what we're aiming for. And
2: but not, never continuity. That is dull, and well, it's unnecessary. Need
1: it. You need us. No, no, no. You, you know, but, not but continuity led. But you not need not, not in the yeah, shots. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: You don't need to this, this, this yeah. I mean I've seen some great films where they start out, go in, come back out again. Some DLPs will go start out and go in closer and that'll be the I'm thinking But then why not just hold one shot and it's one shot we don't need any more. I think you might need it for options, let's move on to the next <laughs> one. It's like forget about it, we don't have time. Yeah, yeah but then
1: people also want to want to protect you when yes, it comes sure. to the address. Yeah. So people are doing their job, sure of course that's your doing your job when you uh,
0: thank you so much guys for talking to us yeah Natasha lovely to Yeah, you and don't ever around. talk about your own short film <laughs> <Sorry>. thank <thing. laughs>